Welcome to the Operation Crest Podcast. I'm Rohan. And I'm Miguel. And we are the co-hosts of today's episode. Operation Crest is an effort from the 957 Project to empower high school students like us to preserve memories of America's veterans and to share their stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Each of these interviews will be donated to the Library of Congress to be preserved for future generations. And you can hear other episodes of the show wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to stick around at the end of this episode to hear us reflect on what we learned during the following conversation. Learn more at www.the957project.org slash Operation Crest. And now let's begin the show. Today we are interviewing Mr. Richard Mockerman. Richard is a United States Marine Corps veteran, having completed three combat deployments in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. During that time, Rick participated in combat operations to expel insurgent forces from Fallujah, Ramadi, Arupa, and Mosul. During Operation Koa Canyon and Hit Iraq, Rick's unit was awarded the Navy Unit Commendation. In the latter part of his military career, Rick leaded the intelligence cell and was awarded the Navy Achievement Medal for operations that resulted in the capture of several key insurgent and al-Qaeda leaders operating in all Anbar province, including multinational forces West, second most wanted insurgent leader. Currently, Rick is the intelligent automation and artificial intelligence lead at a leading, leading management consultant firm. In his free time, Rick enjoys touring local wineries and breweries, competitive axe throwing, hanging out with his dog Freya, and playing video games online with his Marine Corps buddies. Mr. Malcomer, welcome to the show. Hi guys, happy, happy to be here. So uh, we'll get started. <clears throat> the, my first question for you is, uh, where, why did you pick the service parents that you chose? Um, you know, that's a, that's an interesting question. And, um, it's, it's funny because my father was a career army officer and I chose to join the Marine Corps. So growing up, I was much more familiar with how the army worked and, um, the location of all most of the major bases. I, I lived all over the country uh, growing up to include California, two places in Kansas, New York at West Point Military Academy. Uh, well, my father was the uh, chief of public affairs uh, for the uh, for the academy, and then of course uh, the Washington D.C. metro area with the Pentagon. I would I'd have to say, uh, and I'm I'm sure that there are going to be Air Force and Army. And Navy and Coast Guard veterans that are going to uh, cringe at this comment, but I, if I was going to do the military, I was going to go all in. So I chose the the Marine Corps Infantry uh, because it it had the reputation for being, you know, the hardest of all all the services, and especially that particular MOS. Uh, not to mention they also had just released the the digital camouflage, so that was a good a little kicker on top that pushed me over the edge but i was an army rotc when i was in college the first time around uh at christopher newport uh, i just didn't i dropped out uh to uh, become a law enforcement officer in virginia and then did that for a little over a year and uh ended up joining the marine corps anyway so all right um next question uh, does your family have a uh, uh, does your family have a history in the military? I heard that your dad was a part of the military. Yeah, so my dad uh, he graduated uh, from West Point Military Academy in uh, 1975. He was an armor officer uh, 
early in his career. So that's tanks. And uh, later got into public affairs. He was the editor in chief of soldiers magazine uh, for a while located up here in Fort Belvoir. I don't even know if they publish that magazine anymore. Uh, then he was, uh, like I said, the chief of public affairs at uh, West Point Military Academy when I was in middle school. And then he uh, was the foreign press liaison for the Department of Defense and the State Department. There were some, he kind of went, he was like a go-between between all the foreign press agencies and the Department of Defense. And he worked, I believe, in the in the State Department building in D.C. after, you know, he also had an office in the Pentagon. Um, so, yeah, he he's my strongest connection to the military, but I've had my grandfather served in the Navy, uh, I believe, during Korea. I'm not too familiar with that. My uncle Joe, who's my dad's half-brother, uh, he served in the Army during Vietnam. And I think... Just about every, that's everyone from, that I would know about without having to ask somebody. So yeah, definitely. I was a military brat, was exposed to it pretty much my entire life. And yeah, so very strong connection uh, to the military. Nice. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about um, your Marine boot camp or training experiences? <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, Marine Boot Camp is, uh, I did mine at Paris Island, uh, South Carolina, and it's 13 weeks long. And it has, again, the other branches may not agree, um, but it has the reputation of being the hardest uh, of all the boot camps. Um, I'd, I'd say, I mean, it, when looking back on it, it's not that bad. Um, you go through a lot more rigorous training. I think I think it's just the cultural shock is the is the worst part about it and um but it's over so quickly like it it 13 weeks goes by very fast. I mean there's some particular things about uh Paris Island uh South Carolina that I think make it additionally challenging. One it's a swamp. So there there's points in time where you're constantly wet, you're constantly covered in sand and like the sand and the water is like eating your skin away. And, and there are these things called sand fleas, which I think are gnats, but they're like blood sucking gnats. So they bite you and they actually draw blood. It's weird. I don't know what they actually are. I could probably Google what a sand flea is, but they, they look like gnats. They come out of the ground and they, they basically just suck your blood. And it, it's not like a mosquito where you don't notice it until after it's done. You, you notice it the entire time. Um, so you'll be in formation and not moving and have these things covering your arms and your face and just, and just sucking the blood out of you. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, boot camp's more of a weird place than it is. Like I would say like hard, I, it's the psychological aspect of it. That's the hardest. Um, I actually, uh, I had tendonitis in my ankle so bad that I couldn't even lace my boot up all the way and i did i was i refused to be so if you're injured they can hold you back into training they send you to a medical rehabilitation platoon until you're better and can complete so i was my ankle was so swollen i i had to go to medical and the doctor was like well we can we can send you to the medical rehabilitation platoon wait for your your ankle to get better 
I was like, no way. We're not doing that. I'm not staying here any longer than I have to. So he gave me, you know, one of those rubber bands that you use for like physical therapy. Uh, he's like, you can't, he's like, I'm going to give this to you. And while you're in your rack at night, I want you to do like three sets of 30, like ankle exercises with this thing. He's like, you have to hide it from the drill instructors because they're not going to let you have this. So mm-hmm. I would fold it up into my sheets on the bed so they couldn't find it because they'd find it otherwise. If, if it was in my pockets or in my footlocker, they would have found it. Mm-hmm. So I did like secret, like clandestine physical therapy at night. And I actually did the crucible, which is the final uh, exercise for Marine Corps boot camp. And there's like a 20, I think it's 20 kilometer hike. I can't remember. I'll have to look that up. It's pretty long. You do it in the middle of the night. And with my ankle, basically the size of a grapefruit, I did that. Um, And fortunately, they give you 10 days off after boot camp. So I was able to rehab my ankle without having to worry about doing it in the middle of the night. Um, So that's, I mean, and then, you know, it's all the stuff you can see on, you know, like YouTube. Uh, You go to the rifle range. Um, you do, uh, obstacle courses. I mean, that the obstacle course is, um, definitely confidence building because they have you climbing on these things that you can't really get a great grip on. And they're like 30 to 40 feet off the ground. So I don't know. I, no one, why I was there fell off but I'm sure they have, and I don't know what happens when, you know, you definitely would hit the ground hard. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's the fear of falling that gives you like superhuman strength to hold on to those things. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's definitely nerve wracking. The pool pool's mm-hmm. okay. You know, I was a scuba diver when I was, I got certified and to dive when I was 12. So I was pretty comfortable in the water. So the pool was no, no big deal. I'm trying to remember everything else we did. But yeah, martial arts. Um, yeah, and then, you know, a lot of it, I, I was also uh, what they call late chow, which is someone has to be outside to guard the weapons because you have your weapons with you constantly and they, they get stacked up outside the, the cafeteria or chow hall, as we call it, and someone has to watch that. So while the rest of the platoon goes in and eats, someone has to guard those to make sure nothing happens to them. So I was that person. And then as soon as like the person they call early chow finishes, they run out and then you can go eat. Oh, wow. You're only allowed to eat for like maybe 25 minutes. So at Mm -hmm. most I would get 13 minutes, maybe if I was lucky to scarf down all my food. And I remember, uh, actually choking i was eating so fast i choked and and you, you know i'm sure each of you has probably swallowed something that was a little bit too big that kind of like sense of dread that you, <laughs> you get oh, suddenly yeah. when you realize that you were about to you're about to suffocate but i definitely had that and then one of the drill instructors saw that my eyes got real big and they he, they were like oh don't you choke <laughs> and fortunately i didn't uh fortunately i was able to get it down but yeah, I do remember that. 
Um, but yeah, I was late chow the entire time, except for the last, the last day. They let me go with the rest of the platoon. Uh, <laughs> so I could actually eat like a, a decently normal human being, but. Uh, so you were talking about um, how boot camp had a larger psychological aspect to it. Do you think the um, the instructors had something to do with that? Oh yeah, I mean that's what they're that's what they're designed to do, and it, and it's funny because um, when I was getting out of the Marine Corps, that's when reenlistment comes up, and drill instructors are uh, usually um, second enlistment contract i guess that's how you say it. it's like second they're in their second four-year pump and the the marine corps so there's a good chunk of my personal friends who went on to become drill instructors and you would never i would never have pegged them for to be a drill instructor when i knew them and then the marine corps was like you can either do um this job or you can go be a drill instructor to me when my time came up uh, because I was more into um, doing like the human intelligence stuff. I, I my my actual reenlistment contract that almost got completed uh, while I was in Iraq. Had they completed it in Iraq, I would I'd have done another four years in the military for sure. Um, was for explosive ordnance disposal. So you know the guy guys from the Hurt Locker and you know the bomb squad. Um, but yeah, so they go to drill instructors go to school pretty much as basically like going back to boot camp. And I don't know what they do to them there, but uh, yeah, they're definitely they're definitely different. But yeah, they're they're basically there to push you psychologically. I mean, you understand after you leave, you understand the reason why they did everything they did because as bad as you might have perceived your treatment, the enemy will do much worse to you. So that's the, that's the, the, the mentality you kind of have to go into it with, but, but yeah, they're, 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 they're an interesting group. Drill instructors are, I could, I almost could have been one, but I don't, you know, I, I couldn't imagine myself being a drill instructor. Um, so this is a podcast that uh, actually seeks um, courage and resilience and service and teamwork. Um, is there any like stories from your service in the military, your time in the military, that you would like to share that like match those type of themes? You know. Yeah. So it took me a minute to think of one that was because it's all like. There's, there's so many examples of each one of those uh, in my experience, like, and I can just kind of paint with a very broad brush here as the intro, like just the guys. I know guys who got wounded um, pretty seriously, like from IEDs, who could have had a ticket home or at least a ticket to Germany to, to heal while the rest of us stayed. Every single one of the ones that I knew that were injured that were not... Uh, did not require like a, a level of care that they could only have gotten in Europe or the United States, opted to stay in Iraq and heal there so they could rejoin uh, the unit as soon as they were able to. I know I know two two people, uh, one, uh, well, he's a, I think he got out as a, yeah, Sergeant McDonald. He was my team leader when I was new. 
he took IED shrapnel to the face. Had he wow. not been wearing sunglasses, he would have lost his eye. Wow. Uh, and then um, another guy who's actually a, a decently famous military Instagram influencer now. Uh, if you look him up on Instagram, his his Instagram is goons up, G O O N S, and then, then an amount of underscores and then up. Um, Adam Crick, he actually had his part of his tricep blown off by an IED and Whoa. and stayed in Iraq to. Yeah, he's got this huge gnarly scar on the back of his arm. Hmm. And then there's other guys who, you know, doesn't take being wounded, but, you know, guys who'd finished their seven month deployment with our unit and then a new unit would be coming in and they'd, they'd opt to stay with that unit. So they would do, you know, like 14 month deployments. So just volunteering to, to basically help the new unit out because, uh, once you do seven months there, you kind of know the people, you know, the, you know, the lay of the land and how things kind of like the, we call them in military intelligence, they're called atmospherics, like how people react to you, like the general, like how things feel and when, you know, when they're okay and when they're not okay, how, how kind of like the air feels different. But, uh, so they're those guys, but another good friend of mine, uh, Josh Torini, he was uh, our corpsman during Iraqi Freedom uh, 0405. He was with uh, my unit, and they came under attack by a number of insurgents. And I believe it was like five Marines and one interpreter were wounded. And we call him Doc Chi. He ran basically into enemy fire to treat and then evac by himself uh every single one of these marines and these interpreters you know he was literally firing his m16 with one hand and carrying this other this person with his other hand um and he and he's the most down-to-earth guy that you'll ever see he's not he's not a huge dude um but he did that uh, I think he went back at least three or four times to go grab people and drag them back to uh, r- relative safety. But he ended up getting awarded uh, the Silver Star. And like I said, he's just he's he's so normal. It's incredible. His his story definitely doesn't match like his personality <laughs> um, and. Uh, just his he's he's kind of this happy-go-lucky uh really really nice guy um but and you'd never think that he is that story behind him but teamwork i mean that goes without saying it's it's the military no one does anything by themselves if you want a, a story of courage um being an iraqi interpreter uh for the united states military uh during the war on terror that's an incredibly dangerous job because it's not like they come over here after they're done. They stay there and they live there. Um, and obviously you knew what happened to Iraq. A, a significant part of the, the north half of that country was occupied by ISIS. Um, so they, they find out that you were helping the United States during uh, the war on terror. You know, your, your life is certainly in danger. But yeah, they don't... Our interpreters aren't armed unless they're 
military trained and then also tend to be U.S. citizens at that point, just Iraqi Americans that have volunteered to go over uh, mm -hmm. as kind of like a contractor. But um, yeah. the the interpreters I worked with were all native Iraqis and, you know, unarmed. They get body armor and a helmet to ride in the vehicles and, you know, they're doing it right alongside with us and for not nearly as much pay. So I actually, I have a question about um, what you thought after combat. Did your viewpoint of like the Marines or the military as a whole change after you, you saw what was going on in Iraq? Uh, no. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that combat is not like what Call of Duty would have you believe. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> you yeah. don't know where people are. It's confusing. Uh, you can't always see um, who who's kind of shooting at you or attempting to blow you up. Um, you're making decisions with horrible information. Um, and, you know, there's the Marine Corps, the, the other services might have a better, uh, better time with this, but the Marine Corps doesn't have a, a incredible budget. So not every person got communications equipment. So you're like your team leaders and your squad leaders would have radios, but then you you're without a radio. So you're relying on verbal commands in an environment that's awfully loud. And if you're firing your weapon, your ears are ringing. So it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a messy thing, but, um, but now my view of, of the military itself is never really, never really changed. Um, all right. Um, if you ever had the chance to go back in time uh, to, let's say, like your high school self or maybe, you know, even middle school or college, uh, what would you say to yourself that, like, what would you say to yourself then that you could, you know, say now? Uh, so, so I tell this to a lot of people, but um, uh, certainly it's applicable to me, but you only get one shot at life so you should probably make it what you want it to be so and don't be afraid uh, afraid to try something because you like the the cliche uh saying goes it's like you miss every shot you don't take so don't don't be so worried about because i mean i still uh, finding stuff that i haven't tried yet to try mm -hmm. um but yeah don't be stupid, but also don't be too safe, I'd say. Uh, what advice would you give to um, young people listening to this interview? Uh, I think that goes back to the kind of the pre previous question. Um, like, don't be afraid to try things. Um, don't worry if you don't get it right the first time. Like if, if you feel like if you graduate college and you didn't like your major, then, you know, you've got so much time ahead of you. You can always change. I, I studied accounting when I went back to school and I am certainly not an accountant now. <laughs> so you can, you know, don't think that you have to understand everything it is that you want out of life when you turn 18. Um, so following your service, uh, from the military, 
what would you say your day-to-day is now after what, what do you do on a typical day basis i know that you play video games and do fun stuff you know play with your dog well that it's funny that the bio bio is a little bit um uh, a little bit dated but um i haven't touched video games and i should probably do more but i haven't touched that in a, you should yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> like eight months probably wow um even before that um but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do a lot of work. Uh, mm-hmm. I have my own company now, so it's, Oh, wow. What it's company? a lot of work. Uh, you can, it's a uh, dark Ember, just www.darkember.com. But yeah, it does, um, kind of like, uh, uh, corporate intelligence. So doing kind of like what the CIA does for the U S government, but for companies, because uh, they need, you know, businesses as complex, if not more complex than uh, geopolitics. So they need advanced warning and, and all the information they can get a hold of as well to make the best decisions possible. But yeah, um, like I said, um, you 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 miss every shot you don't take. So that was that was one of my shots I took and I, I don't regret it. Um, was stepping out on my own and doing my own thing. And I highly recommend it. I mean, it's, 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 it can be a little freaky at times. Um, cause, cause you're kind of like it, like there's no one to tell you what to do. Um, but it's also the most fun you'll ever have. Cause you're, you're the boss. Like if mm-hmm. I don't want to do something, I'm not going to force myself to do it. So, um, is there anything else you would like to share before we complete the interview? No, this is good, and uh, I know you all are involved in the the other um, the 957 project program. And I was just talking to Mr. Findler about getting potentially getting Doc Chi out for one of those events. So oh, that would be uh, awesome. Would yeah, be he's a he. Yeah, he he's a he has his private pilot's license now, so I'm sure the bar to get him out there is much lower. Actually, I do have one personal question I would like to ask you before yeah. we complete the interview. Um, my stepfather is actually a part of the military. He is a part of the Navy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I went to his uh, graduation from, from the Navy, and I was very inspired by, like, um, like from his like from his academy. I was very inspired. Now he's on a two-month, I don't know, he's on a boat somewhere for two months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I won't see him for another two months, but, um, you know, it kind of inspired me to, um, you know, look into it. Uh, what do you recommend? What do you think I should do if I'm interested? Um, I would, how old are you? Uh, 15. Okay. Um, I just say get exposed to it. And that doesn't mean going into the recruiter's office. Um, I'd say talk, you know, talk to your family member, talk talk to, you know, if you do uh, the 957 event, 957 project events, talk to the veterans there. Um, I mean, I left the military in 2009. So my experience will probably be a little different than what you would experience if you were to join at say 18 or do something like ROTC or go to, you know, West Point or Annapolis or the Air Force Academy and, and do it after school. Um, 
as an officer. So keeping in mind that our experiences might be a little bit older, um, if you can, I don't know if you have any contacts that are currently like in the military and get exposure to all the different branches too. Like the Navy is very different than the Marine Corps, even though they're kind of, they're more related than say that like the army and the Navy are, um, you know, ex get experience with the army. The, the Coast Guard is no longer part of the Department of Defense. They're part of Homeland Security. So, I mean, get exposure to them as well. Um, yeah, just, just make sure it's, it's not, and again, like it's not permanent. You do four years and if you don't like it, you always get out. Um, but also if you never join the military, don't regret not, I mean, it's not, no one looks down upon, you know, not having military service, but, um, yeah, just find out what you want to do with it. Um, I, I recommend that people leave the military with a skill. Um, I mean, like if, like in the infantry, it's hard because infantry is combat arms and it's, you know, it's doing the, it's living the video game. It's living the call of duty thing, uh, like yeah. picking the doors in and shooting the guns. And when you're on the outside in the civilian world, like your options are like what I did when I first got out was went to private security contracting, which is, it's still an industry, but it's, a, it's shrank uh, quite a bit. Um, or be a police officer. That's what a ton of my friends did. Uh, or they stayed in. Um, but if you want to, you know, go into like cybersecurity, like certainly take a look at the Air Force or the Navy, Navy and their cyber commands. Uh, I think the I think the Army runs the NSA. I think that's their thing. It's definitely Department of Defense, but I think the Army technically. Don't don't quote me on that. Um, but yeah, so if you're interested in cybersecurity, definitely look at the cyber careers. Um, if you want to do the, the door kicking and the, and the mm -hmm. rifle shooting, then, you know, all the services have that, like it's, you don't just have to be a Marine. You can go army, do special operations there. Navy SEALs, of course, um, air force has JTACs, I believe is what they're called and, and PJs. And there's, there's so many options and just. At, at that point, the the branch of service, make sure the branch of service matches with their culture matches with your personality or you're like, like it should feel, you should feel a part of or connected to, to whatever branch that you're looking to join because it will change you. I mean, there are very distinct personalities of each of the branches, so. All right. Um... I think that concludes our interview. Thank you so much. Thank you for so your much. Time. Yeah, no, thank you guys. It was fun. Um, honestly, um, Mr. Mocker really gave me an inception on his military life and work and what he went through, and I grasped a concept uh, I don't really think I can really learn elsewhere. Um, uh, a look into his past and a step towards a brighter future was written all over Mr. Mahama, to be honest, and he really did inspire me, um, especially at the end when he, you know, told me all about the service and, um, you know, everything that he stands for and everything that he thinks that I should do in order, you know, to take the steps to learn about his, um, his branch of Army. 
so yeah um one um one takeaway i really thought was it really hit me was when we were when he was talking about the courageous acts that he witnessed or he done when in combat and the way he was explaining it it was almost like everything he had to do in the marine corps was a courageous act and in my opinion just signing up or being in the military itself is a pretty courageous act putting yourself in front of your country like that yeah i did also think that um honestly in our interview i really conceived respect his respect for his leaders and his instructor instructors and i immensely recognize and can respect his passion and what you know what hard work he has to endure and throughout the many years you know of his service he just keeps on uh yeah about the instructors i just um thought it was cool that the amount of respect he had for them was pretty amazing even though how mentally breaking they were but i guess that mental aspect of it was a good help out on the field at least for him yeah um I did realize um, that he had like an undying, undying passion uh, to keep serving and thinking about serving our country every single day without any type of uh, self-need, self-desire or greed really. Um, I really appreciated his stories about, you know, the times he had with his instructors and um, his friends and uh, you could really tell that he had been through these things where he could adapt and bond with his comrades and his his instructors and his peers everybody yeah i'm um at least i know if i had to stand guard outside with my friends and you know guard outside while everyone else is eating lunch i would gain some sort of respect at least for myself or for my friends yeah sure man uh, i really respect someone who can you know serve the military and doing everyday things from home even even still to this very day um, an intelligence analyst. It was honestly, it was very moving. I, uh, I found it to be, um, you know, um, more, you know, Im immense than, um, than it really, than I really thought of it, bef thought of it before. So I, you know, I'm very, I'm just very, you know, I'm, I don't really have many words to describe, you know, this, you know, event or this, you know, the, the interview that we had, it was, was good it was I, I felt like he really cared about what he did and he really cares about what you know yeah uh, you could see that because when you asked your question about what should I do do you think I should join the military he immediately said you know I have no regrets in joining the Marine Corps he really loved what he did Thanks for listening to the Operation Crest podcast. If you liked today's episode, be sure to subscribe and share. Today's hosts were Rohan and Miguel, and our guest was Richard Martin. The music was provided royalty-free by Coma Media and B Video. The questions were written by us, and the editing was done by our teacher, Mr. Finley. And until next time, see ya.